I'm Mike Reese, a 30-year veteran writer for The Simpsons. If you like Netflix's Somebody Feed Phil, you'll enjoy this podcast, Nobody Feeds Mike, better known as What Am I Doing Here? I've spent 20 or so episodes telling you where to travel, but I never gave you the why. Why travel? My grandpa A.B. used to say. Anywhere you go, there's a Broadway and a Main Street. These are strange words coming from him, who had an excellent reason to travel. Hitler! My grandfather left Poland for America, a young boy with just eight cents in his pocket. By the end of his life, he had doubled that. Grandpa did have a point, though. Much of the world is exactly the same. But that's one of the most exciting surprises of travel. The strange, exotic places you feared are just like home. Santiago, Chile is exactly like Los Angeles, home to a thriving film industry and choked with traffic, pollution, and overpriced restaurants. Tehran is even more like LA, so much so that thousands of Iranians have resettled there. They call it Tehranjalis. Here's a short list of places that are just like other places. Kiev is like Chicago. Iraq is like Arizona. Bangkok is Las Vegas without gambling. Dubai is Bangkok without booze. Helsinki is like Muncie, Indiana. Despite the similarities, there are tiny differences that make every country fascinating. In Hong Kong, air conditioning is set to meat locker coldness. In Peru, corn on the cob is the size of a football. Chile is so long and skinny, it doesn't fit on maps. They have to cut it in half and put the two parts side by side. In Central America, they call speed bumps dead policemen. Creepy. In Asia, they don't say one, two, three when they're taking a picture. They say three, two, one. I know, crazy, right? Being in a foreign country makes even the most mundane activity exciting. When Denise and I travel, one of us, I won't say who, always forgets her tampons. In Iran, she sent me wandering the Persian bazaar looking for a pharmacist. I finally found one, but he didn't speak English. I was forced to do an elaborate mime on the concept and usage of tampons. He seemed baffled, then amused, and finally he smiled as a light went on in his eyes. He went to the back of his shop and came back with a white package. When I got home, I found he had sold me a rectal thermometer. I instantly regret telling that story. So here's a cuter one. One activity that feels like a chore at home and an adventure overseas is getting a haircut. I once got a haircut in Ethiopia and the entire village came out to watch. It was fun and a little cheaper than at home. What cost me $35 in New York was 72 cents in Africa. I once sprang for the fancy $1.50 haircut in Khartoum. It took 90 minutes, including a shampoo and an unasked for full body massage. The barber sculpted my hair in the local fashion stiletto-sharp sideburns, and a deeply pointed widow's peak. On them, it looks good. On me, I look like Jewish Dracula. And if you ever visit Seville, Spain, and you should, it's one of the most gorgeous cities on earth, get a haircut there. Then you can tell everyone you went to the Barber of Seville. It's a great joke. Or at least it was the first 10 million times people did it. 
Of course, the main reason you travel is because the world is full of things you have to go there to see. They won't come to you, and photos are no match for the real experience. To put it in terms my audience will understand, it's like the difference between sex and porn. Travel is like sex. It's expensive, time-consuming, and often to be regretted. Like sex, travel can be messy and require a trip to the doctor, and I can only do it two or three times a year. But then I bragged all my friends about it. Travel delivers. The world's landmarks have been drawing visitors for centuries. If the Grand Canyon were overrated, news would have reached Yelp by now. These attractions are not like some trendy movie that everyone talks about and no one likes. I'm talking about you, Wes Anderson. The Great Pyramids really are great. The Great Wall of China is great too, but The Great Waldo Pepper is a lousy movie. Although it stars Robert Redford, and he's great, and older than The Great pyramids. The people are what you expect too. The French really are rude. The Swiss are polite. The Germans are polite in a way that feels rude. They can say thank you and make it feel like up yours. And some things make more sense when you're actually there. Denise and I stayed in a hotel on the edge of Germany's Black Forest, the setting for so many grim fairy tales. We stepped into the woods for a little stroll and immediately became as lost as Hansel and Gretel. We wandered helpless and hopeless for over three hours before we were finally rescued by a brave woodsman. Actually, it was the gardener from the hotel. We were only 50 feet away from the property. And Machu Picchu, high in the Andes, is cloaked in mystery and magic until you actually visit. Then you'll recognize it instantly for what it is a summer resort, a place in the mountains to escape the heat of Peru. It's got cabins, it's got views, there's even a slide for the kiddies. Really, it's got a slide! It's just an old Catskills resort, but for the Incas, not the Finkels. Naturally, travel comes with disappointments. The Mona Lisa is much smaller than you expect. It's about the size of a sheet of typing paper. But the Last Supper is friggin' huge. Oscar Wilde called Niagara Falls the second great disappointment in a bride's life. While this was almost certainly true for Mrs. Wilde, Mrs. Reese and I love Niagara Falls. It's beautiful and overpowering and breathtaking for about an hour. And when you get bored with it, you can walk up the road to Clifton Hill, home to every delightfully crappy attraction you could hope for. There's dinosaur mini golf and Harry Potter rip-off putt-putt golf. There's zombie laser tag. You can visit the Movie Land Wax Museum, the Criminals Wax Museum, and the Sports Heroes Wax Museum. O.J. Simpson was in all three. Anyway, now that you know the why of travel, let me give you a very important how. Let's start with my favorite rule of thumb about travel. Bring half the clothes and twice the money. An even better rule might be bring a quarter the clothes and four times the money. But the best rule is probably bring one change of clothes and a suitcase full of money. This, by the way, is how Russians actually travel, visiting foreign countries with luggage full of cash. A souvenir vendor in Turkey told me they compete to see who can gouge the Russians for the most money. On a side note, never buy souvenirs. Your kids don't want them, and your friends don't want them. Here's a keepsake from a trip I took, and you didn't. 
And if you buy something for yourself, by the time you get home, even you don't want it. A souvenir is like a Porsche. It loses 60% of its sentimental value as soon as you take it off the lot. Even if you avoid souvenirs, you still have to pay for tour guides, great museums, horrible folklore shows, and that old devil, miscellaneous. Once I was crossing the border into the Congo, and a security guard told me I needed an unexpected visa. The cost? $387 cash. It was exactly the amount of money I had in my pocket. How did she know? Another friend of mine booked a villa in Venice for a month. At the end of the first week, he sent out a small bag of laundry. It came back with a bill for $1,000. Both he and his shirts had been taken to the cleaners. He spent the rest of the month washing his own clothes in the sink. He told me, I found this wonderful stuff called Woolite. Have you ever heard of it? Woolite? Anytime I asked him about the magic of Venice, he'd just gush about the wonders of Woolite. This man is a billionaire, by the way. You'll need local currency in any place you visit, but foreign exchange bureaus can be enormously picky. In Myanmar, they refused half my money because the bills were nicked or creased. In return, they gave me currency that was ripped, faded, and one bill that was held together with a band-aid. Still, it was fun because their money is as big as a Pop-Tart and one US dollar gets you 1,288 of theirs. Excluding places like Myanmar, here's a handy tip for converting foreign prices to American. One of theirs equals one of ours. One euro equals a dollar. One British pound is about a dollar. A Canadian dollar equals a buck. This trick also works in India, Panama, Singapore, and Argentina. Some countries, this doesn't work at all. Who cares? Do you want to do a bunch of algebra every time you buy a beer? You can avoid exchange bureaus altogether. The good news is every country has ATMs. The bad news is they're all broken. In Brazil, they're broken and rigged. I put my bank card in a Rio ATM and heard it fall with a plunk, like a coin in a piggy bank. I pushed every button on the machine, but nothing happened. I picked up the emergency phone to report it, but that was broken too. Finally, I wailed on the machine with both fists till the front flipped open. Kids, violence solves everything. The ATM had been completely gutted and there was a pile of bank cards sitting inside it. Apparently crooks would come by every couple of hours and harvest the cards. Luckily, I took my ATM card back. I took everyone else's card too. Right now, I'm recording this podcast on a microphone purchased with the Amex of Mrs. Lisa Lavoie. If you're out there listening, thank you. Even when they do work, ATMs only give out big bills. And no one in any third world country has any change. If you have a foreign $20 bill, it might as well be a million dollar bill. No one can break it. In India, I tried to buy $1 worth of aspirin with an Indian $5 bill. The pharmacist looked at it, screamed, and ran out of his own store. This really happened. The man was a Hindu, and he knew that in 10 lifetimes, he'd never be able to break a five. Even if you do manage to get small bills, they will be siphoned off of you immediately. How? Tips. Tips! When you're on vacation, every day is a holiday known as Extended Palm Sunday. <laughs> wow, that's a bad joke. 
One morning, I was leaving Cairo to fly to Luxor, Egypt. I had to tip the hotel maid, the guy who brought my bag down to the lobby, the guy who brought my bag out to the cab stand, the guy who hailed the cab, which was sitting right there, the cabbie, and the two men who grabbed my bag out of the car and wheeled it to airport security. Yes, it now took two men to carry one bag, as if it had somehow doubled in weight during the ride over. I'd already tipped seven people before the sun even came up, and soon I'd be in Luxor where the whole cycle would start all over again. As my bag went through the x-ray machine, the security guy looked at me expectantly. I screamed, you don't tip the luggage screening guy. He shrugged, it was worth a try. The biggest tip I'd ever been hit for came at 15,000 feet. Denise and I were four days into our climb up Mount Kilimanjaro, a fiasco you'll be hearing about in a future podcast. As I was drifting off to sleep in our tent, Denise said, I hope you have $900 cash to tip the porters. I did not have $900 cash. I would not carry $900 cash if I were going on a world tour of strip clubs. I climbed the rest of Kilimanjaro knowing that at the end of the trip, I'd be stiffing our 10 burly porters. My plan was to reach the top of the mountain, jump off, and plunge to my death. Tipping is not universal, by the way. The Japanese don't have it. Neither does Australia. I remember an elderly Australian woman telling me a horror story from her youth. I was working as a chambermaid, and after I cleaned this woman's room, she gave me two pounds! The old lady shuddered. That was her whole story. Someone tipped her. That was her Stephen King twist. So trust me, my complaint with tipping is not the money. It's the aggravation and the money, but mostly it's the aggravation and the money. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring Denise Reese as herself. Additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman.